The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Dee, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, a game changer for stocks. That Brainerd bombshell still reverberating through markets. So what is your best strategy right now if a rougher road is indeed ahead? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Jenny Harrington, Surat Sethi, Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter alongside once again. Let's check the markets. Keeping close eye there. We've been in the red all day long. In fact, the S&P 500 is now below its 200-day moving average, and that's important. And that's for the first time since March the 24th. 44.90. Keep a close eye on that. So we're considerably below that level. Meantime, all the way on the right, the 10-year note yield, 259. We're the highest on the 10-year since March 12th of 2019. Not this March 12th, 2019. All right, Weiss, this Brainerd bombshell, that's what we're calling it. Is it truly a game changer for how we need to look at stocks? Well, Scott, first I've got a bone to pick with all the bulls who told me repeatedly that the rate hikes are already in the market. They're priced in. Yet Brainerd comes out and says yesterday, hey, look, we're going to go to 50. We can start pairing back the balance sheet. And that news that was supposedly in the market, I guess it wasn't because we're down 5% in two days on the NASDAQ with the S&P following, with the Dow following, et cetera. So it's not a game changer for me, but maybe it'll be a game changer for them. I don't know why it's such a foreign thought that bear markets could last for more than a month or two. And I believe that's what we're in. So actually, it upped my cautiousness on the market because I think that most are not prepared for a tightening cycle. And yes, the Fed could put us in recession. It's very likely, uh, you know, an outcome, according to a lot of uh, uh, strategists. But Mm -hmm. I keep focusing on this quarter. And despite having companies that have reported good earnings, like a Micron, very good earnings, They're short-lived in terms of the celebratory trading going higher. So Micron now is down about 10% from where it was when it reported, even a little more. So, yes, I think this is time to be in cash. I think it's time to be cautious. I don't think it's worth selling long-term positions where you have a heavy tax burden if you do get out of it. But it's not the time to put new positions on. I mean, you see the the NASDAQ, you know, we could show it again. Yesterday was ugly and today is, is getting uglier. Um, you've got the first back-to-back, I mean, you've got back-to-back declines in big ones, not the first, for ARK, the ARKK, down 5% yesterday, down more than 6% today. There's a 327-point decline for the NASDAQ. And, you know, it's hard to overstate it. I mean, Brainerd Super Dove turning into what sounded like Super Hawk. If you missed it, it was Brainerd talking about a faster pace of QT, even faster than last time. And that spooked the market yesterday. Kramer now says today, this morning, quote, the the time to be more conservative is now. He says he's been paring back exposure for the club, maybe the most aggressive pair back, he says, in a decade. 
Lee Cooperman was on with me in overtime yesterday, says he's taken his long exposure down to 68%. Remember, he was a fully invested bear. Now he's a less fully invested bear. Let's listen to what Cooperman told me. I don't think we'll have a recession in 2022, but I think there's a chance we can have a recession in 2023. And uh, recession is typically are preceded by bear markets. And you're seeing a lot of the market now, home builders and the banks and credit sensitive stocks acting very poorly. So I think it's a time for caution. Right. A lot of those cyclical areas, Joe, not, not acting good. Chips leading us down. Housing's no good. Auto stocks ha- have been hit. You weren't as cautious as you are now just a few days ago. Brainerd had an impact on you. Of course. I said on Monday the growth trade is back on again. I said on Monday there was further upside potential for the S&P. Steve's right. The, the hawkishness from Brainerd was not priced into the market. We are now pricing in something that we don't know. Is it going to be balance sheet tightening that is passive? Is it predictable? What's the amount going to be? Am I going to get a target from the Federal Reserve? Am I going to get timing? So clearly, we have an adversarial Federal Reserve. We've had the adversarial Federal Reserve for the last couple of months. They are clearly intent on utilizing wealth destruction as a weapon to cool demand and to affect inflationary pressures. That's real and that's present. That's been with us now for the better part of 2022. And, and, you know, I keep hearing, well, the bulls or the bears. Guess what, Scott? Everyone, raise your hand if you're losing money this year. Unless you are a pure commodities trader or you're an individual on Twitter that is day trading and telling you how great you're doing, this is as challenged an environment as you are going to find, whether you are an investor or a trader. You're in the ring with Mike Tyson in 2022. And when you're in the ring with Mike Tyson, you're just trying not to get knocked out. So caution has prevailed at the beginning of the year. Caution is prevailing now. The new dynamic is something that wasn't priced into the market. And that is without question an adversarial Fed that went after stocks initially. And now they're going after real estate pricing and shelter inflation because that hasn't moderated. Okay adversarial that's a that's a good word that you use some are going even stronger talk to one money manager today who said the fed just declared war on the stock market steve leesman and if you look at the commentary and who it's coming from you can understand why they think that and it's underscored with that bill dudley op-ed today did you see that mr leesman the headline if stocks don't fall the fed needs to force them quote To be effective, the Fed, it'll have to inflict more losses on stock and bond investors than it has so far. Investors should pay closer attention to what Powell has said. Financial conditions need to tighten. If this doesn't happen on its own, which seems unlikely, the Fed will have to shock markets. The Fed will have to shock markets to achieve the desired response. And as somebody put it to me, the Fed just declared war on the stock market. Don't fight the Fed. Cuts both ways, doesn't it, Steve? Yeah, you don't want to fight it on the way up and you don't want to fight it on the way down. Um, I, I, I think Bill is, is sort of right here. I don't think he's 100 percent right. I don't think there's an active war on the Federal Reserve. I think the Fed 
Boy, I hate to use war metaphors in this world, but it's going to throw some things out there and there may be some collateral damage in the stock market. I do think the Fed wants the market to be down in the sense of tightening financial conditions through equity financing. In other words, the, the way the Fed looks at things, uh, uh, the stock market is two things. First is the wealth effect, which can tend to uh, increase uh, economic activity. The other is the cost of financing through equity issuances. And you've seen the IPO market come off. You've seen a lot of damage in some of the high-flying uh, 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 NASDAQ stocks and, and overvalued, well, overvalued, highly valued stocks, shall we say. Um, and huh. Now, you can say I it. It's, Freudian. it's a Freudian Scott- slip. It's a Freudian slip. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got you. I, I, I do think at this point, maybe the bad news is out. Um, I've, I've been surprised. Let me, let me show you something, Scott. Let me show you the CNBC Fed survey. This was done a month ago. And we have had results like this for about three months running now. It shows what the expectation is of our 35 to 40 respondents of QT or quantitative tightening. 73 billion a month, 540 in 2022, 900 in 2023, 1.2 trillion in 2024. Now, after Brainerd's comments, that 73 we may learn later today could be closer to 80 or 100. But if you weren't paying attention, it's like the Fed went to, from zero to 100 with Brainerd's speech. If you were paying attention, um, it may be going from 70 to 90 in, 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 in one speech. So it's not quite as drastic a thing, which kind of gets at this question, which I've asked Steve Weiss has brought up. How much of this is priced in? I've said for three Fed surveys running now, it's going to be between 75 and 85 billion dollars. So if they weren't paying attention to that, then yesterday was a huge shock. And obviously, the bond market and the stock market, I, I think we now know the Fed's going to be aggressive on the balance sheet, 80 to 100, and it's going to be aggressive on rate hikes, maybe about 200 basis points of tightening. I think that bad news is out. I don't expect much more from here. Okay, so let's let's play off that last word that we got from Lee Cooperman. Caution, right? It's a time for caution. Caution doesn't mean that you sell everything. Not, he's not saying that. Nor are many of the people that I speak to on a regular basis who are, you know, managing a lot of money. They don't say sell everything, but you can't be all in, as we've heard on this program. How can you be all in, Jenny, in this kind of environment where the Fed just told you what they did? It's like you got fire and ice now fighting against you. Pardon me, Mike Wilson, for stealing your phrase there, but you got Brainerd and Dudley, fire and ice. How can you be all in in that environment? Well, let's take the profile of the person who should be, all, who is all in and who should be all in. Let's say you've got a million bucks. Let's say you got that invested even recently within the last couple of years. That probably means that you have a cost basis of, I don't know, 500,000 bucks. That means maybe you have a capital gain of 500,000. So if you're gonna sell, if you're gonna back off, you're gonna have a huge tax bill. Let's say you're a client of mine who is in this for the dividend income and that dividend income supports their life. So you've got a million dollars, you have a $500,000 capital gain bill, and you've got an income stream that you totally depend on. What would you do if you sold out? You would create a big tax bill, you would cut off your income, and for what? To try to be cute, to try to avoid another down 10% from here? We know that recessions and bear markets, they're just part of the process. So if you've got that situation, and you've got a time frame, let's say longer than two years, I would say longer, maybe three, four, five, 
Why would you get out now? If that's your profile, it's absolutely fine to be all in because you're in it for the long run. And this is where I think when you say you can't be all in, I think this is where you really dissect and diverge on investor versus trader. If you're a trader, if you're of trading mentality, if that's your, if that's your path for what you're doing and how you're investing, then yeah, you can't be all in. But if you're really long-term, if you're dependent on income, if you have big capital gains and you're just in this for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, then stay all in. Like, don't worry about this. This is noise. And actually, I was in an argument with my husband about um, the market being down 4.7% for the quarter. I was calling it a blip and he was saying that's callous, right? So I think in the law and in the long-term investing, even down 5%, that's a blip. Down 10%, that's a blip. Um, knowing that over the long term, we march and trend upwards. Okay, we, we um, thank you for, for so, taking yeah, us think, into your... Uh, we thank you for taking us into your house <laughs> for the secrets <laughs> thank you. of the Harringtons, I think. Surat, how about that? What if 10% is conservative? What if we need to go back to lower levels where it makes more sense because of what's coming from the Fed and how the earnings picture is going to be impacted by all of that. I mean, you know, Cooper was talking about what kind of multiple, you know, he, he'd put on the market. Maybe it's 18 times um, and he gets to like 40, 50. Seems like a reasonable level to him. Well, that's, you know, that's 400 points lower than here. That's 10%. What if, what if we need to go down further than that, Surat? Yeah, I mean, look, we 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 we, we tested forty two hundred, and you know, uh, Jenny's right in terms of being an investment manager advisor. You kind of have to look at the client risk profile. If you're thirty years old and you have a four hundred one k, you should be all in. But if you're seventy years old and you're relying on your portfolio, and today you're seventy five percent equities, you've had a huge run in the last two three years. You shouldn't. You should be cutting back to your risk profile. But, you know, let's get back to kind of where the market's going to go. Valuation is really going to matter in this case. And, and, and if Cooperman says 18 times, well, where are you going to be in that space? There are a lot of companies today. I mean, you look at your financials trading at 12, 13 times. They've come down from, you know, 15. Uh, industrials have come down. So a lot of the parts of this market have reflected that. The question is how much lower can some of these go? And, and as we know, when momentum goes the other way and you get cash coming out of the stock market, Part of what the Fed is also doing is actually making the fixed income market attractive for people who weren't in it. So, you know, to, to, to a Jenny portfolio, some people will say, I'd rather get 4% lending, you know, to, to a big corporation than getting a dividend. And that's going to happen, too. So I think, uh, you know, market's going to find its spot. But with the Fed raising rates, uh, valuations are definitely compressing. We've seen it. And now with earnings season coming forward, I think the market's kind of sensing like, hey, what's going to happen with all these higher input costs? Uh, and geopolitical uh, issues going on. Now, Leesman, you know, normally the minutes, which come out this afternoon, I think at 2 o'clock, um, are kind of like whatever. I mean, you're right, we had a meeting, we had a press conference, backward-looking. Do we really need to know everything that was discussed at the table? But today, they may be more important than they have been in, in a long, long time. And Powell all but told you to pay attention to the conversation about QT. So are the stakes raised for what's going to drop in less than two hours? Yeah, for sure, Scott. A funny thing has happened at the Fed here where they've decided to use the minutes to convey what they're doing with the balance sheet. If you remember, uh, there was the December press conference where Powell didn't say very much about the Fed having talked about balance sheet reduction. 
Well, when those minutes of the December meeting came out in January, we were all a little bit shocked that there had been a fairly robust discussion about balance sheet reduction. Um, and, and this is the same thing I believe is going to happen today, that they're going to give us uh, a lot more detail than we've had before about how the Federal Reserve is going to wind down the, uh, the balance sheet. I will say that it's going to be somewhere, I believe, in the parameters that we've been talking about in that 80 to 100 billion range. Uh, one thing uh, that uh, Brainerd said yesterday, which was of note to the guys who were following this closely, is um, the Fed will not hit the cap right away. It's going to ramp up to the cap. Brainerd said there will be a fairly rapid ramp up to the cap, which means that if they set the runoff cap at, at let's say, 80, they may get to that in just a few months, whereas normally they do 20, 30, 40, 50, and they, they, they'd ramp up slowly. So it's going to be pretty aggressive. And, and, Scott, when I said the bad news is out, what I just want to clarify, I think the bad news of what the Fed is going to do is out. I think we still have to talk a lot about the potential bad news of the effects of what the Fed is doing. So, Joe, this idea that you could have a, a major market-moving event this afternoon less than two hours from now. Do you uh -huh. think the market is prepared for a, a more aggressive commentary? Let's say, you know, I don't know how explicit they're, they're going to be. I, I, don't, I don't know generally how they are when it comes to that. But what if $100 billion is the number? What if they make it clear that they're all on the same page, that it's going to be bigger than we thought, faster than we thought, and faster than we've ever been used to? Is the market prepared for that? So I, I think you're, you're, you know, what, what you're really asking me here is to look at the technicals and then to absorb the potential further negative news from the Fed this afternoon. So what I would do there is say, well, what has shifted since last night? There has been a lot of deleveraging for players that have been positioning long in the derivative markets over the last couple of weeks. We've seen that overnight. We've seen that throughout today. There is negative momentum in the market. I will tell you that I would expect that the market will be heavy through the close unless there is something from the Federal Reserve that kind of reverses that Brainerd bombshell from yesterday. And I don't think any of us can expect that. So I think from a technical perspective, the best you hope for is that the support that resides with the 50-day moving average down at 44.20 for the S&P and a previous swing area at 44.15, hmm. you hope that that holds by the close today at 4 It's funny, Steve, you know, this notion that, and we've been hearing this now for many, many weeks, this, this idea that the Fed is going to come to the rescue and it's going to pacify everybody, it's going to make you feel better. We've mm. expected it, didn't get it. Expected it again, didn't get it again. But why would we assume that we're going to get that today, Weiss? And by, by asking you whether, you know, we think that the market is prepared for a much more hawkish minutes than we're, we've, we've been used to, you know, I, I don't know if I'm really talking from a technical standpoint. I'm just talking from an expectation standpoint and the idea that you brought up at the very top of the program, what's in the market, what's not in the market. It's clear that the market wasn't expecting somebody like Brainerd, right? The, 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 the mm -hmm. picture of the doves on, on the, the Federal Reserve being as aggressive as she sounded yesterday. So what does it mean for today? So if, if you take a look at the last, uh, actually, we're, we just passed the 13-year anniversary, 
in terms of when the market bottomed after the financial crisis. So for the last 13 years, the Fed has always come to the rescue. So it's like Pavlov's dog. Market trades down 5 to 10 percent and investors hop in because the Fed is coming to the rescue. Well, the Fed's going the other way. And what Steve said, if you if you really think about what Steve, what Leisman said, is that the Fed is using the market as a tightening tool. So they're not going to come to the rescue. And I've said, and others have said, that Fed put doesn't exist anymore. So, look, I think the bar has been set. Not yet. Maybe at some level it does. Uh, I I don't believe they will. Yeah, yeah, I think you need more than what is somewhat of an orderly sell-off in the indices. But keep in mind, the stocks have not been an orderly sell-off. They're down 40, 50, 60 percent on average. So it's somewhat illusory to just say, hey, the market's only down 10 percent. You could only go down another 10 percent. Well, that's just not factual because that doesn't reflect it. Of course. But in terms of what the market is will, will, uh, will do when the Fed minutes come out, I think the bar has been set pretty high after Brainerd's comments yesterday, which, by the way, may not be disassociated with what the Fed minutes will be. So the market, I wouldn't be surprised if the market traded up on it. I don't expect it. But right now, short term, you know, who knows in a day going forward, I maintain still that the market's not prepared for what companies are going to say okay. because everybody talks about how great the economy is. So, let, so let, that's let, the next flash. Let me do this. Let me let me uh, thank and say mm-hmm. goodbye to you, Steve Leisman. I got to get into some more stocky stuff. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, go ahead real quick. One one very quick, quick. risk that's out there today, which I didn't mention very okay. quickly. The Fed is supposed to be letting things run off uh, it, it naturally. In other words, it's not going to sell assets. Passive. If that's in there, that's a bombshell. I don't expect it. It should be passive. If it ends up being active, that's maybe a risk the market was pricing in because Brainer didn't say passive yesterday. I think she meant it, but she didn't say it. All right. Well, um, I think I'll see you in OT, uh, and I look forward to that. So that's Steve Leisman. So let's do this. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. see the NASDAQ today, guys, right? Jenny, what am I supposed to do now with technology? I, I only mentioned to you what the ARC was doing. Um, and it wasn't looking good today. It was taking on some water. What, what am I supposed to do with the tech trade if rates are going to continue going up, if the narrative has now changed because of Brainerd? You just need to continue what I've been suggesting all year, which is be super granular and not say buy tech. You need to say there is a big difference between Snowflake and Palo Alto. There is a big difference between Lemonade and um, and between I'm trying to think of like just so really I can spicy buy, ones. So wait a minute. So I, can buy, so, I, so, I, so I can yeah. buy. I can buy Palo Alto today. Um, or you can uh, buy Palo Alto. Today Cisco. I can buy Palo Alto. I mean, mm-hmm. Snowflake's down like seven percent last I checked. But I can buy Palo Alto today. Mm-hmm. I can feel comfortable and safe buying Palo so. Alto today. Look, there's going to be movement, but the volatility that you're likely to experience buying Palo Alto today is going it should be a fraction of what the high-octane tech is going to experience. And I think we're seeing that in so many, let me just pull up my screen, but like, I think we're seeing that in so many areas right now where you can look and you can see um, the high-octane tech, um, DocuSign, Zoom, Lemonade, they're all down 4% plus. And then you see the lower octane, the old school tech, the Cisco's, the Palo Alto's, the um, Intel's. Frankly, I'll even throw in, even though it's down more today, like the, the Meta's, the Apple's. There is a big difference between those. So I think you need to go back to valuation. And we need to remember that at some point in 2020, stories died, right? 
Prior to mid-2021, you could invest in stories. At some point during early to mid-2021, that narrative shifted. And you can't bank on stories, and you have to look at valuations. So there's plenty of tech to buy. I mean, even if you look at, at the dividend part of the portfolio, you've got IBM, which is kind of flat. It's got a nearly 5% dividend yield. It trades at a fraction of the market right. multiple. You can buy companies like that. Well, but you need to be picky, and you need to be okay. careful. So, Surat. Jenny used the word octane, which makes me think of the car makers like GM and Ford. They're, they're down 11 percent in, in the past week. What do I do with the more cyclical areas of the market that have been getting beaten up and beaten up badly, whether it's the automakers, the home builders, the semis, the transports? You know exactly where I'm leading. Many of those stocks are in your portfolio. So what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Well, I think you look at, you know, valuation there and you look at kind of GM and you say, hey, what's really happening here? The earnings are coming down because they can't produce enough cars. Demand is still there and it's a single digit multiple. So I still want to hold it because I think the consumer is still strong and you're going to have more demand in the next two years. I think the airlines are getting hit as well. And, you know, I own Delta there. And, And that's another kind of reopening story. They're getting hit with higher uh, fuel costs. So again, valuation, single digit multiple. So when I look at kind of valuation and, and the momentum is against these stocks right now, I'm holding them because you know they've, they've kind of run, they've come back. But I think as we get through this period uh, of the next few weeks and the Fed kind of raises its rates and the economy kind of stabilizes, I want to be in the cheaper value cyclicals because I think they will outperform. But then I also have the, my, my, my healthcare stocks that are defensive in here that are kind of holding their own and the energy stocks. So it's that balanced portfolio because you never know what's going to happen to the parts of the market, especially the defensive stocks and the cyclical stocks that are just really getting hurt. And, you know, the cyclical semiconductors are getting hurt. I mean, Qualcomm's down to 11 times earnings now. And, and so how much more is that going to go down um, given kind of their strength of their balance sheet too? All right, let's take a quick break. Stocks dropping for a second day. One area of this beaten down market is getting a second bullish call in two days. We'll tell you what it is and we'll debate it in our call of the day. There's your market picture. Dow's down 259. NASDAQ down two and two thirds percent. That's a loss of nearly 400 points for the tech led NASDAQ. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry leading on time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started.
I'm Christina Parts and here's our CNBC News update at this hour. The Minneapolis SWAT team officer who fatally shot a 22-year-old black man during an early morning no-knock raid will not be prosecuted. The death of Amir Locke in early February prompted protests in the city. He was apparently sleeping on a couch and reached for a gun when police burst in as part of a homicide investigation that didn't involve him. Prosecutors say Lockie was a victim who should still be alive today, but they don't have enough admissible evidence to prove the officer's action was not justified. In the wake of the death, the city's mayor has banned the use of no-knock warrants. New U.S. sanctions will target Vladimir Putin's daughter as well as one of his closest allies. They are just some of the people and entities that will be covered by U.S. actions, including a ban on new investments in Russia due, due to be formally announced by President Biden later this hour. The government will spend more than $20 billion on transit in its upcoming fiscal year as part of the infrastructure law passed by Congress. And attorneys general from six states are telling the NFL they have what they call grave concerns about allegations women and minorities are being harassed in the workplace. They're threatening an investigation if the league doesn't take action. Scott, back over to you. Pete, appreciate that. Thank you. All right, let's take you to the wall and check the markets. I mentioned that the Nasdaq was about at session lows, and that's where it sits. A two and three quarters percent decline. I mentioned nearly 400 point decline uh, for the Nasdaq right now, 13,820. We've been watching the S&P 500 closely today, too, from a technical standpoint, uh, a pain standpoint, obviously, too. But technically speaking, it's below its 200-day moving average for the first time in a few weeks. And that's being closely watched, obviously, by technicians. About 30 points or so below that level, so keep your eyes peeled there. Dow Jones Industrials, 34,379. That's a, a loss of about 263. And then, uh, you know, yields have been moving up. Uh, lately as well. That's the price is down. Yield is up. 259 is the yield on the 10-year note. Let's talk about that call now. The second in two days on the fintechs, the payment names. I think the most notable today, guys, is if this is all from Stevens, by the way, uh, is Block, the former Square. Initiated overweight, like PayPal's equal weight, FinServe's equal weight. But Square, Block, uh, the target's 170. That's 34% upside from here. Joe T., you sold it in the Joe T uh, in October, along with PayPal, right? Sold both of them. Sold uh, PayPal at 230, sold Square at 250. They were in Joe T. Uh, they began to lose momentum significantly. And from a quality fundamental perspective, there as well, use or deterioration. I'm sorry I disagree with this call. I don't see in anything uh, that would give me an indication that that's going to begin to reverse itself. I'm not sure what the fundamental catalyst ultimately is for Block or for PayPal, other than just looking at the chart and seeing it uh, looking pretty ugly towards the bottom. I mean, PayPal, they initiate, as I said, at equal weight. The target's 135. That's 20% upside from here. Mm -hmm. You want to make the bullish case to Joe Surratt? You own PayPal. I do. I, I, I mean, firstly, Joe, good call selling it at 230. I mean, the stocks were, were, have come down quite a bit. Uh, PayPal, I think there are two catalysts coming forward. I mean, they're in the penalty box, three quarters of, of missing. But here are a couple of things to watch for. One is comps. Um, it was pull forward demand because of COVID uh, in the last few quarters. People were doing a lot more online ordering. 
now they're going out. So once we kind of pass that, that's going to show some acceleration of growth. And PayPal admitted themselves, they spent a lot of money on growth and they went after a customer base that really didn't come to any fruition. So I think you're going to have that also with management much more focused. And management knows this is the you know third quarter in a row, three strikes and one more. Uh, there are going to be some changes there. So Dan Schulman's got his... Uh, it has got his work cut out for him, and I think at these uh, valuations, PayPal's still there. It, it's an eminent player. Uh, I think there's some upside, but it's a show-me story completely are you at this point. Are you adding in the ugliness? Yeah, if I have cash and new clients, uh, it's definitely something I'm adding to. It's a core position, yeah. Okay. Steve Weiss, it's no position for you. Why? Well, you know, it, look, PayPal, I mean, Jenny had a great call on this as well. I mean, she kept saying, maybe I'll look when it gets to 150 and then got to 140. And that was when the stock was a lot higher. My point is these stocks can still go lower. I just don't view them as cheap. Mm-hmm. I view that the landscape there is extremely competitive and it's getting more competitive still if you look at the private company pipeline. So I just don't see any rush. Again, I'd rather miss the first 10 percent or even 20 percent up in some of these names and catch a falling knife. So I'm not, I'm not anxious okay. to go in there at all. Jenny, I need it to be quick. Fiserv is the name you like. I mean, that's another Cooperman name, by the way. Um, you prefer that over these. Right. So it goes back to valuation. So I think this is an exact highlight of what I mentioned before, where it's not about the stories, it's about the valuation. So for us, we own Western Union and Fiserv. Both of those are trading at rational valuations. I think it's fascinating to see that in the face of this really positive upgrade, you have the two that were upgraded, PayPal and Square, down 8 and 5%. You've got the two that are at rational valuations, Western Union and Fiserv, flat and up on the day. So it's about the valuation. The stories are less important right now. It's been a rough road for shares of City. And a new 52-week low today. Lee Cooperman telling me on overtime last night why he is hanging on to it, which is why we'll debate it and the rest of the banks ahead of earnings next week. Plus, all of April, CNBC is celebrating Financial Literacy Month. Here is Esther Aguilera, Latino Corporate Director, Directors Association President and CEO, with why it's important to invest in Latinos. U.S. Latinos are a massive, undertapped market. One in five Americans are Latinos, 63 million and growing. Did you know that 12% of Latino households are unbanked and another 22% are underbanked? This Financial Literacy Month, let's remember, investing in Latinos is smart business. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Citigroup shares hitting a new 52-week low today, falling more than 35 percent from their recent highs. Ashley Cooperman about it yesterday when he was on with me in overtime because he owns it, too. He's frustrated. I still own it. It's been it's been a mistake and I can't bring myself to sell it because of the large discount to book value and the uh, I hope for an improving trend in profitability. But, uh, you know, it's cheap and it's been a value trap and I've been wrong. And not the first mistake I make uh, I've made, but uh, I still own it. Misery has company, doesn't it, Surratt? Oh, yes, I completely. I mean, words out of my mouth. Value trap. Oh, God. It's like every time you get into city, you got a new CEO, they're going to do something different. Now it's coming. Now it's emerging markets. And now it's what is their exposure to Russia? What is their exposure to, uh, you know, other countries? So I, I'm really I, I will tell you that uh, after earnings season, I'm going to look to move this into the money into another stock, whether I add more to another financial or something else. But uh, I'm just going to wait to see kind of how they, they perform there. Then uh, to me, it's it's a source of funds. I'm not going to be adding wow. to this one unless something really funds. changes. And, but you're going to wait till after they report. Yeah, yeah I'm going to wait till because then I want to swap it into something that maybe is a, is a better opportunity, maybe a company that's a fallen angel that, you know, missed a quarter that I'd like to kind of add to. Mm. So Quickly to you, Weiss, because by the way, Goldman Sachs today hits a 52-week low. You own that. I do, and I'm staying with it. Uh, you know, I expect it actually to go lower, but I've got a nice gain in it. I don't want to, you know, pay taxes on it. Um, so I'm staying with it, and maybe to uh, to my disadvantage because, you know, I typically don't manage uh, stocks based upon the tax effects. If I think the fundamentals fundamentals are going to deteriorate and stocks are going to go lower, and the fundamentals will deteriorate this quarter as they will for all financials, but I also think there'll be a recovery and still just a phenomenal franchise as is B of A. City, I also went in there and, and got out after losing some money on a short-term trade. It's tough to turn around a bank anyway. It's even tougher in a tough environment. So that's why I'm not tempted to go into that one. Now, I wonder, Jenny, you, you don't own any of the, the large cap banks, the money centers, et cetera, the ones that we're talking about right now, the investment banks either. Uh, but you do own a regional bank. And why do you think a regional bank in this environment, as Steve said, is going to be more immune to the issues than the big ones. I think you can be really strategic with the regional banks because they're different and they're much more transparent. They're much easier to understand. So I can pick up the phone and call Umpqua, which is one of our core holdings, and I can say, walk me through exactly how this interest rate environment impacts you and let me reaffirm my belief that rising rates are actually good for your business. And you're on the phone with them, and that's that. And it's just not that complicated a business. They don't have investment banking. They don't have international tentacles. It's just really straightforward. The flip side of Umpqua is my New York community bank, right, where they actually have a little bit of negative impact from the rising rates. But once they close their merger with Flagstar Bank, then that that equation flips. But you can do the math. You can understand it. I got really burnt in 2008, 2009. I actually owned City back then. Um, I got really burnt, and it was because I came out of that realizing there was no way for me to truly understand the nuances of those business and all the off-balance sheet stuff all however much you read the annual reports in the 10ks you'll never really understand them right. so they're kind of fine when you're in an easy environment and they're too hard when things get complicated they're burnt, too risky burnt in 08 and still scarred in 22 that's the moral of that story <laughs> that's joe right. bank of america morgan stanley I have baggage <laughs> i i've been advocating for the financials i am overweight the financials and given the re- recent performance 
in particular for money center banks, you have to ask yourself, what is wrong from your perspective and analysis? And I think the one thing that money center banks might be pricing in and is not being talked about is credit losses. These financials should be going higher with rates going higher. I think there's a concern here about credit losses as we move forward. Well, I mean, you know, rates higher, yeah, credit issues, economy slowing, worries about recession down the road, more headwinds than tailwinds. Stay on credit losses, though. That's something that has not been priced into money center banks, Scott. No one has suggested that. Mm -hmm. There's management on earnings calls hasn't talked about it either. Okay. Let's talk uh, airlines. When we come back, they're lower with the rest of the market today. They have been seeing a big comeback lately. Uh, we'll give you the trades next. And a reminder, you can get in on the CNBC Investing Club with Jim Cramer. His monthly meeting is tomorrow. What better time to do it than today? Especially given his commentary this morning on Squawk on the Street about lowering exposure. you got to hear what Jim has to say. CNBC.com slash Join the club. QR code. You know about that, too. Point your phone right there, bottom left. We're back on the half after this. All right. Take a look at the airlines today. There you go. JetBlue. Uh, we're showing you that after that offer for Spirit. Frontier is down seven and a third percent. Remember, Spirit and Frontier had already been talking about a deal. Jenny, JetBlue, you own that. We bought this last fall, and when we bought it, we said, look, we know we're early. We know we're going to be patient. And so when I read the Raymond James report that came out today that was negative and actually downgraded it after the Spirit acquisition, I look at that and I say, I think we have different time frames. Because on balance, I think this is really positive. It's JetBlue saying, hey, we strongly believe in the U.S. aircraft market. It's going to add 173 Airbus aircraft, another 156 on order. It's going to expand their, um, their landing spots in New York and Florida, add 10,000 employees. It should be earnings accretive in very, very short order, maybe adding 10% to, um, to earnings. So on balance, it's really good. Yes, the negatives are it may increase their regulatory headache. Um, it doesn't actually expand their footprint. But I think it's, I think it's a terrific terrific thing for their business. This makes JetBlue a stronger business in three, four, five, ten years. And just one thing, it reminds me of the Starbucks um, news yesterday, where when these companies come out and say, hey, we're going to take our cash and we're going to really invest in our business. It might be a little short painful in the short term, but it's good long term. The market's punishing it. And that's where I think we as humans can be patient and can do the work and can find some opportunities. So, you know, this is where if we loved it at 14, we sure as heck had better love it at 12 and change where it is today. I'll and say, we do. I'll say. Surat, Delta and United <laughs> are your two. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I agree with Jenny. I think the, the one thing, just to go back to JetBlue, the, the, the caution is, will the government allow the, you know, the consolidation? That's a good because question. that's what Delta and United are. That is a are. good question. Right. So given kind of where we are, and, and look, it's better for the whole airline industry if it happens, so I, I, I'm not sure if it is. Mm -hmm. uh, Delta United, again, reopening plays here. Delta is much more focused on kind of raising revenue, margins increasing. And, you know, when the CEO talked just a week ago, he said, hey, listen, we can't even meet our demand. So I really like them. They're the blue chip. Um, United is more of a, a global player. Uh, I think that's why you own it. Uh, again, I kind of put United in the I'm not sure I want to own this for a longer term. Uh, just because they've had a few missteps. So that's kind of, again, one of those I'll put on the source. Okay. I'm not going to add to it, but I would add to Delta at these positions. All right, coming up, the committee ready to answer your questions. Email us, ask halftime at CNBC.com. We'll be right back.
All right, let's answer a question now. Byron from Illinois writes, I would like to get the panel's thoughts, particularly Steve Weiss, on freight rates dropping recently. The stocks have been under pressure. I think he's being nice. I, 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 thought, I thought this guy, Byron, was asking about FedEx, and he wasn't that happy that it's been dropping like a stone, Weiss. What do you tell him now? Yeah, me neither. As a matter of fact, I sold it yesterday. I got out of that and got out of Facebook as well. Two trades that didn't see all the profits evaporate, but saw a good chunk of them. Look, if you take a look at the Baltic Dry Index, which measures shipping rates, Panamax, etc., it actually closely correlates to freight in the U.S., meaning rails, meaning, uh, you know, the freight carriers like UPS and FedEx. So as that's gone down, and frankly, I should have paid more attention to it because it's been in a steady drop except for a spike earlier this year. Uh, that's just a four, you know, harbinger of things to come. So that's why FedEx has been down uh, in addition to the economy. So I'm not going back in here. I think I'll be able to get it back at around 200 or lower if I want to trade at that point. But it's a trade that, you know, could have lost a lot on, just made a little to pay the, uh, the commissions in a trade-free environment. So XPO's down a lot today, too, and, and recently. It's down 5% or thereabouts again today. Weiss, you own that. Talked about it a lot. Yep. Jenny, you own that. Surat, you own that, too. Now, what about these stocks? I mentioned, Surat, I when I was going through that thing earlier about these cyclical areas of the market, which you have a fair amount of exposure to. Now, here's another example of mm -hmm. it with XPO. 32% off of its year high. It is, and, and they've spun up um, GXO. They're spinning off, again, another uh, piece of their, their, their business. Uh, it's a cyclical trade, and, and this is the one that's direct and center when the Fed's raising rates and people are focused on, hey, are we going into a recession? So the first thing they do is sell these secular, secular stocks. I like it. I think Brad Jacobs done a fabulous job. This company is going to be investment grade. They're growing their earnings, their cash flow. Uh, I would be patient, and I would uh, I would be adding more at these levels. I think the stock is really cheap and, and definitely oversold. Okay, take a quick break. Come back with final trades. Tune in today, overtime, four o'clock Eastern time, because joining me today is Fundstrat's Tom Lee. Tom's been all bulled up. Is he still? Now that Brainerd has spoken, he has a new note out. We will discuss it this afternoon, four o'clock in overtime. Josh Brown is joining. Quadratics Nancy Davis is joining as well. So I'll look to see in a few hours from now. The conversation, by the way, with Surratt continues this afternoon as well. He is joining Bob Pisani, 1.15 p.m. Eastern time for more in-depth insight into his strategy and where he's finding opportunity right now. You can go to CNBC.com slash pro slash talks. Let's do final trades. Jenny, you first. Continuing my theme of hiding out for the year, AXA, a French insurance company, trades at eight times earnings, has a 6.2% dividend yield. Thank you. Joe T. Long Prologis, ticker symbol PLD, staying long. The conversation you had before about freight that equates to rising inventory has to be stored somewhere. That's the logistics that Prologis provides. Okay. Don't like the deliverers like Old Dominion, perhaps, but you like the storers like Prologis. All right, Steve Weiss. Correct. This may surprise you, but cash, not putting any new money to work. Okay, and Surat Sethi. Comcast. Uh, again, valuation cash flow story, multiples down to 11 times earnings. Uh, I expect a strong quarter with good cash flow uh, from the cable subs. Okay, our parent company, of course. Uh, thank you for that. 
Let's check the market real quick because we were around the lows of the day for the Nasdaq, down 370. I'll see you in OT. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.